Welcome to the first ever field trip in the HB Catalyst Academy mini course, Applications of Social Media for STEMX Teaching. I want to start out with a big thanks for HP for their support in making this mini course possible. So today we are fortunate enough to be joined by a social media guru, Rebecca Otis, Content and Social Media Manager at Digital Third Coast Internet Marketing based in Chicago, Illinois. During this session, Rebecca will be sharing tips on how social media platforms can be leveraged for teaching and learning, along with ideas for developing the voice and tone for any social media communities that you build. And for those of you in the Hangout, please make sure to type any questions you have for Rebecca in the chat in our virtual room. For those of you tuning in to the live broadcast on YouTube, you could access the Q&A for the presenter in a special discussion thread that's posted at the very top of the newsfeed on the Applications of Social Media for STEMX Teaching Facebook page. So before we dive in and meet Rebecca, just a little bit of background on her. Rebecca is considered a connector, speaker, and writer who shares ideas and collaborates as a content and social media manager at Digital Third Coast, which is a digital marketing agency in Chicago, as I mentioned. She founded a social media consultancy uh, called Localize Austin in 2009, uh, which served up ideas in marketing, communications, and social media strategy. So she continues to believe in the power of connecting with people both on and offline. And a little bit about um, a little bit more about her background. She served as a social media administrator and strategist for the official state website Texas.gov. Pretty exciting. Uh, there, she developed social media strategy and policies that were used as a model for state and local governments nationwide. Pretty cool. Uh, Rebecca is a proud Longhorn alum, as am I. Hookem, graduating from the Combs School of Business. Rebecca was a Rising Star finalist in, in the 2012 Women of Influence Profiles and in Power Awards hosted by the Austin Business Journal. And as I mentioned, she's coming to us from Digital Third Coast Internet Marketing. Uh, and they describe themselves as high-fiving, food-loving, results-driven Chicago digital marketing, agents, digital marketing agencies specializing in search engine optimization, otherwise known as SEO, pay-per-click, PPC, uh, local search, social media, and content marketing services that are focused on making a measurable difference for their clients and partners. So we're very lucky to have Rebecca here today. And without further ado, take it away, Rebecca. All right. Hi. I'll reveal myself for just a minute. Um, thank you for such a warm welcome um, to Samantha. I'm so excited to be here with the um, New Media Consortium and HP Catalyst. Thank you for hosting us. Um, we are here in, in uh, Chicago, and we help online. We help most businesses uh, connect with their customers online uh, through a variety of marketing channels, including social media, which is what we'll be talking about today. So I'm excited to talk about the applications of social media in education, um, and a lot of what we do in the business world applies to every industry, including education. So we're going to jump right in. Um, if you have questions, feel free to send them uh, um, on Twitter or to type them in the Hangout um, and on the thread that Samantha mentioned, and we will um, jump right in. All right, so as we mentioned, you can follow along um, on uh, Twitter with the hashtag STEMXSocial and the hashtag HPCatalyst. So let's talk about why social media. Um, why do we need to be on social other than the fact that it seems like everyone, their mothers, their friends, their grandmothers are using it? Um, well, for one, it breeds learning. 
Um, I'm discovering new things every day, whether it's through Facebook, uh, which can be a news source, or Twitter even, but basically it's a great way to learn and play. Uh, discovery. I come across so many new concepts, ideas, authors, people to follow. I connect with new people. I'm discovering new things every day through social media. So when it comes to education, it's just a natural place to be learning, sharing, collaborating with students, teachers, other educational institutions and organizations. It levels the playing field, which is one of my favorite answers when people ask me why people are using Twitter and they tell me they don't understand it and it's not intuitive. My answer is it has its own language. It's not necessarily simple for everyone, but one of the best things about it is that it levels the playing field. It's one of the ways that people are able to access celebrities um, through Twitter specifically. Um, even news, you know, news stations are using Twitter as a way to get you know, news tips from just general constituents. Uh, but in terms of education, uh, it can work both ways. So social media can be a way for students to access even you know, the highest leaders in their educational institutions. And the same for teachers, professors, staff. Um, there's a way for everyone who's at the top of the university spectrum, for example, to reach their students. It may be difficult to really dive in and understand what your students are looking for um, or just what their lifestyle is like. And so whether it's discovery, so watching and connecting with student organizations and students and learners, um, or whether it's actually communicating with them and reaching out to them through social media, it's a way for both sides uh, to communicate with each other where they may not have access, especially when it comes to educational institutions that aren't necessarily a physical location or maybe it's connecting through the summer you know during the summer break or spring break obviously people you know students that are younger are wanting to have fun during those breaks but they may be also looking for scholarship opportunities they might be looking for contests which we'll dig into here in a little while um, but it might be a great way to stay connected uh, with you know either your professors or with your students throughout those breaks Social media provides free resources and tools, so many social media uh, tools that we're using every day are free. Of course, there are others that can enhance your social experience, but for the most part, there are so many free resources out there, so it's really a no-brainer. Most of the time, it just takes time and some strategy. Um, it's extremely accessible. Many students, organizations, institutions, businesses are using social media mostly because they can access it from almost anywhere with a Wi-Fi signal um, or with internet access. So another easy reason to be using social media. You can receive instant feedback and participation, which is one of the reasons I enjoy using social media the most. Uh, it, whether it's getting feedback on a new concept or, you know, even just an idea within the team, you can get feedback almost instantly through social media and it's within, you know, even 30 minutes you can tell if something's going to take off or if there's controversy or commenting going on or if maybe that, you know, wasn't either the right time to post or whether that wasn't something that your audience was interested in. And lastly, it's expressive and it's fun. So for whether it's students in the classroom or educational learning opportunities. Uh, it's a good way to express yourself. You can share how you're feeling. I know Facebook even asks 
in uh, the status update to share, you know, how are you feeling? And sometimes people find that to be strange to share, but, you know, that's really what it is, is it's conversations with your network. So as I mentioned, discovery is one of the reasons why education is using discover is uh, using social media. And here's an example of something that I discovered while just learning about STEMX. Uh, I just searched for STEMX in Twitter uh, and came across this article that looked very surprising to me and something that I really had not even ever thought about, which was the science behind sports um, and the scientists that are helping athletes perform better. So that's one prime example of how not only can you discover new concepts through tools like Twitter, but how we can learn from the way that um, news sources such as Science News for Kids, that was the source where I found this, um, that's a really great content idea to appeal to students where, you know, traditional classroom techniques might be, you know, and textbooks, but now that we're in this age of digital technology, um, there are new ways to apply the science techniques and this might be a really great way to engage a student who wouldn't normally be engaged to look at the science behind athletics if maybe they're motivated by sports. Here's another example. Um, instead of the discovery piece of social, it talks about how you can build awareness for a cause and also to crowdsource or generate, ask your community for ideas. And this was something that I found through Twitter and then I also saw it again on Facebook. Uh, and this was by Top Coder, so an organization that is you know, trying to get new people to develop new technologies through their coding skills. And so they're trying to bring awareness to the issue that STEM education um, maybe isn't given as much attention as it should. And so to make it fun and engaging, they were hosting a poster design contest to help girls specifically get into science, technology, engineering, and math into those fields. Here's another example, uh, Northwestern University's McCormick School of Engineering and Applied Science. This was on their Facebook page. What I really liked about this was, one, it was visual. Um, two, it's giving students recognition. So when students go home at the end of the day and they're using Facebook um, or even, you know, on their mobile phone, they might feel sort of empowered because they saw their photo on the university's page and they can sort of look back and um, appreciate what they learned during the day. It also showcases learning, so in terms of just marketing for Northwestern University and the engineering school, it really showcases that there's hands-on learning going on, and the outside world might not be knowing that if Northwestern hadn't shared these photos. Um, I personally like also the topic that they chose, um, which really is, you know, a learning lesson that someone came up with that I thought was really creative, which was learning material science with just paper and pencil, which seems very basic, but you never know what you could actually create with just, you know, simple tools that used to be the only tools in the classroom. Here's an example uh, that I really liked from the North Carolina School of Science and uh, Mathematics, which I was actually excited to see was um, the first residential STEM high school. Uh, I didn't even know that this existed, so it might be something that your community is aware of, but I was fascinated by it and I was really excited to see that they were using multiple channels, including multimedia, um, to market and engage and communicate with their, their audience. So I first found on Facebook that they were promoting, you know, their convocation and commencement speech. Um, and then I noticed that they were streaming it live, 
which I thought was just a really great way to connect with anyone, whether they were on campus or off campus. And then um, they also promoted it on Twitter. Um, also, the Twitter example just showcases how just their Twitter profile itself, really that photo, the image in the profile, really showcases what they do, as well as uh, their, their description. It's very descriptive. It, it really engages you, and it made me want to learn more. Uh, so, as I mentioned, we're typically working with a lot of businesses, but we do work with universities and educational institutions as well. So these are sort of some observations that we've made in terms of what's universal when we look at a social media strategy. And one of the very first steps that we do um, is we define the audience. So who are we trying to reach? Usually it's more than one audience. So for a university, it might be faculty and staff. It might also be students. It might be parents of prospective students, and it might be prospective students. So right there, there are already four audiences. And they might all be using different tools. They might all be needing to receive a different message. And so at that point, um, it's up to you know, whoever is creating the strategy to determine what messages we want to promote and share and to whom. Uh, so the where are they is, you know, what channels are they using, where are they located geographically, um, how can we reach them, and that's how you can choose the medium. And sometimes it's a little bit of experimentation to see where you're reaching your audience and who's responding, and if something's working, keep doing it, and if they're not, maybe ask, you know, your audience how you can reach them better. And it may not even be that social media is the right, the right medium. It might be email or something like that. But um, social media is often integrated even when it comes to email these days. Uh, we set goals. So that's also one of the first the common questions that we get is, um, I need more Twitter followers. How can we do that? Or um, we just aren't getting as many website visits as we want to through social media. So that's where we take a step back and we say, well, what are the goals that we're trying to reach? And so that really should drive social strategies versus we need to be on Facebook, everyone's on Facebook, let's jump in. We try to take a step back and evaluate what are we actually trying to reach. And if it's website visits, if it's newsletter signups, um, if it's new enrollment or completing the contact form for prospective students, let's define what those goals are and then let's build our social media strategy around that. Um, and by the way, engagement with, you know, with your audience is definitely, definitely an acceptable goal. If you can define it further, absolutely, that, that's obviously going to help refine your process and refine your strategy. Um, choosing your tools will come next. So once you define your goals and your audience and you determine um, as much as you can about where your audience is and where you can reach them, that's when, when would be a good time to choose the tools for which messages that you want to share. Setting processes and guidelines, I starred this one because this one is really important, um, especially when working for a university or an educational institution, um, especially if you're dealing with younger students, um, there are going to have to be different processes in place versus those for higher education where you might be able to share different kinds of content. Some things might be a little bit more professional, some things might be a little bit more for the younger generation. Um, that being said, processes and guidelines also applies to internally who is actually going to be posting. What happens if someone posts something negative on your Facebook page? How will you handle it? And while that seems very scary in a lot of instances as 
Samantha mentioned, I came from the government space. Um, it was very um, a very cautious industry um, because we wanted to make sure that we were more informative than political and people have their political opinions and they like to make them known. But my response was always, well, let's set a process for that up front and then we know how to handle it if that comes about. And if something new comes up, then we'll find the best way to handle it and then we'll add that to the processes and the guidelines. But that's something that's really important and it's just you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed on Twitter, sometimes if multiple people within a, an organization are handling or managing a Twitter account, you might see a carrot, um, the character on the keyboard, a carrot, and then someone's name at the end of it to showcase who's responding. Um, one, that just shows that you're being, you know, you're personal, and two, it helps the team know who's taking care of which responses. And so setting processes and guidelines applies as much as it does to external posting and how to engage with your audience as it does internally. And that can really help drive a successful social strategy. And then the last the last but very important step is to measure. So going back to those goals, determining what, what we want to accomplish with social media, and then finding the best way to measure, measure that. And a lot of times with social media, engagement is really the best indicator that what you're doing is working. So when it comes down to posting, um, what do we look at? So all things to consider, and I'm sure there are more, uh, but some basics would, would include your title and your topic. That's just as important as a headline in the newspaper. Um, and now with so much online content, it's really something that you want to grab someone's attention in. Or even if you think about a, a tweet, 140 characters, you really have to grab someone's attention and inspire them to click on whatever it is that you're sharing, hopefully it's a link, or even if you're, you know, tagging HP Catalyst, then you're going to want somebody to click on it and find out more. So the title and the topic is really important. Um, as I mentioned, or actually I'll show an, another example shortly. Um, imagery is also important. We're working in a visual world, um, in a world where Pinterest is massive and it's being used in education, it's being used in business, it's being used in all of the areas that we typically think of it um, for, you know, DIY, crafts, um, cooking, food is huge, but it's spilling into these other areas where you can really share news, you can engage with people in terms of the educational experience. Um, there's so much visual to be shared, as I showed the example of Northwestern's engineering school. Uh, so in, um, imagery is really important to consider because that may often be the only thing that's drawing someone into a post in a Facebook stream, for example. Timing is also important. Uh, when you post or when you host a webinar, we did our best to choose a time this evening that was convenient for everyone involved, whether you're planning lesson plans, I know summer break is ending for some, or whether you were teaching earlier today, um, we tried to choose a time that was convenient for our audience. Uh, your team, so who are you teaming with for to develop your content, and then how is your team sharing what you're posting on social media and engaging with it. So it can be really important to get buy-in and support from the rest of your organization, which can help share your messages further. And we know social media can be viral. So the more people that are watching and sharing and engaging within and without your organization, the better. Um, and the last, the last thing to consider is how and when and why to share. So 
Um, once you consider the title, the topic, the imagery, the timing, the team, the next thing is, uh, of course, to share. And that will depend on whichever channel you've chosen to share your content with that, um, that will hopefully get some, some feedback and some engagement. So here's an example that I found from Connections Academy. Um, and it was a Twitter chat uh, called A Parent's Advice for Comparing Online Schools. And there were several things about this that I wanted to pull out. The first one was about the audience and the timing. So um, the audience would be parents that were comparing online schools for their students. Um, but the timing, I sort of wanted to challenge you to guess what time they would have set this for, considering their audience. So I'll, I'm sure you've already thought about it, but I'll reveal the answer was 8 p.m. Eastern. So with time zones, it can be challenging, but knowing where your audiences can help. Um, 8 p.m. Eastern would pretty much guarantee that parents would be after work hours and they would be closing their day if they had a, a traditional business hours um, occupation. So 8 p.m. I think is, is a great time for this audience. Um, I also noticed that they had someone leading the the Twitter chat that was actually a parent, which I think is really strategic. So parents want to hear from other parents. Um, and obviously, um, the person leading this likely had first-hand experience, and they could share their wisdom. And then, of course, um, I wanted to just showcase that in this small ad that's visual, um, whether you just saw this on Facebook, you could get as many details as you needed, and then you could go to their website, but you could also find a way to follow them and connect with them throughout the Twitter chat. And then the last piece of this what, that I thought was uh, a great way uh, is to follow up and follow through. So after the Twitter chat, they posted a recap on their blog um, of what questions people were asking in the Twitter chat and addressing those. And underneath that, they had a Storify, which is on the right-hand side here, a Storify stream of some of the tweets that came in during the Twitter chat. And so that's another way that you can capitalize on a Twitter chat, which is living on Twitter, but you can pull it back in to your website and drive some website traffic for anyone searching about you know, comparing online schools. They might come across this. So that's our SEO hat speaking there, where we're trying to drive traffic because they're pro providing a service. and. Um, you know, they're going to want to drive more traffic to their website. Although the event that was held on Twitter was held somewhere else, they pull it back um, back to the website as a recap. Um, here's an example. I'm sure you've heard by now that um, Google hosts a science fair. And I just use this as an example of social media for involvement in video. So as you can see now, some of us are in the Google Plus Hangout, um, which just as involvement. It, it requires our buy-in. Um, we're actively engaged. Uh, some of you are watching. It's a more of a one-way stream. But here, um, students have to actually produce a video and submit it. Um, it's just like a traditional contest, but I really love the Google Plus interface for video and for photos. I think it's very clean. Um, but with a, cam with a webcam and with Google Plus, which is free, anyone can essentially um, develop a video and then share it on Google+. And so Google's really utilizing all of their tools and then also sharing on YouTube. Um, but this is how students enter the Google Science Fair. Topical creativity, we, we mentioned titles and topics, which is just really important in here at Digital Third Coast. We help our 
clients with a lot of content ideas, and we often have to think outside the box, especially for if you think of you know Harvard Medical School, which is very highly regarded. Um, they have so much research, but how can they spin it in a really creative way and inspire people to engage and hopefully click through and read more and learn about their school as well as just learn about the great work that they're doing. Um, and I thought this was a great example. So the image draws me into sports and immediately I think, why is a photo about you know an athlete on the Harvard Medical School page? And then I read further and learn that it's um, about scientists and athleticism and um, evolution is at work here. And so all of a sudden I was drawn in and I wanted to read more. So topical creativity is really important where you know you might have a great piece of content to share but if you don't frame it in a creative way you might lose someone's attention which really only have a couple minutes to or seconds in many cases to attract. Here's an example of what our friends here in Chicago at Kendall College. Uh, this is an example of topical creativity as well um, and also experts weigh in here which I think is a great way to get other buy-in from other organizations or even within your own organization possibly experts from different schools within a university um, and here they have drink or beverage pairings with food pairings um, and Kendall College provides a culinary educational experience. So this was a really visual and creative way to appeal to food lovers, whether you're wanting to attend Kendall College or not. Um, it was something I have an interest in just as a food lover. Uh, and I really appreciate how they pulled in experts from the university to weigh in on why and how they pair different flavors. Uh, here's an example of the team element. So this is just showing how, well, this is hosted by NASA. This was a, um, a hangout similar to ours. Um, NASA obviously has a very, very instrumental um, reputation, but they even magnified it more by bringing in health and fitness Olympians, a CrossFit champion, an NFL player, and then they had one of their own astronauts. And I just think that's probably, you know, a very strong example of how you can exponentially increase the power of your social media by bringing in other influential leaders. Uh, so they built a team here and all of a sudden um, not only is NASA getting their audience to participate but every single one of these leaders that participated can also reach out to their communities and showcase the hangout and potentially get you know that much more involvement. So where, wherever you work, whether you're at a university or a high school, I encourage you to partner with experts, partner with other universities, partner with other schools within your organization, and you'll likely see that the outcome can be greater. This was an example uh, that NASA um, NASA partnered with Lego um, on a, for a contest where students could build um, build something, and also I thought this was interesting. Um, it's sort of a social component, but really it's just an example of really unique digital technology for education, uh, is that Lego has, um, their blog is called Rebrick, um, as in rebuild, and they have sort of a bookmarking feature, and so that was the way that they were able to capture contest participants um, and contest entries. Um, was that students could build what they wanted to within Legos within the parameters of the contest and then they could use the Lego bookmark tool 
to actually bookmark it to Lego, and that way that would be considered for the contest. Here's an example of just learning from others. Um, this is just a simple science experiment that you can see from a simple visual diagram. Makes it breaks it down for you. Very very simple steps. Um, the possibly most interesting thing about this was that I discovered it on Pinterest. So I was searching for um, science fair projects on Pinterest and came across some boards of teachers and. Uh, parents that showcase science experiments and this might just give you a great idea for a lesson plan. Um, it also might just give you a great idea of how other schools are showcasing their science experiments and then also how people are engaging with those. I found it really interesting to see people who were repinning them and then people who were engaging with them and commenting on them as well. Um, I think Pinterest could also be a really interesting place. I'd, be, I'd love to hear if anyone has examples of actually posting uh, homework assignments on Pinterest or allowing their students to post their homework assignments when they're turning them in um, on Pinterest instead of you know, through paper or through email. Uh, here's an example of just social media spurring ideas. Um, social media being a great place to display new ideas and, and examples, and then also a place to get feedback. So Michigan State University had a Pinterest co contest. Um, it, was, it was called the Media Sandbox, and I thought this was interesting. I just did a little bit of research, but um, I, I found this as one of the first uh, Pinterest competitions through education that I was able to track um, that was already completed, and they had boards created by their, their students that were um, entering the contest, and I believe votes had to happen on Pinterest as well. So this was a really interesting um, example of a Pinterest competition by a university, um, and they opened it up to photography, writing, illustration, and several other categories. Uh, feel free to take a look and browse just to see how they executed their contest in case your, your um, organization or university might want to do something similar. And I think they also created a board for um, the finalists and the winners, perhaps, once um, they got the initial entries. And our, uh, before we get into a couple final thoughts, um, the main point that I want to share is just that you don't have to know it all. And the great thing about social media is that you can learn from everyone else, and social media is so open. So, you know, for the most part, people are sharing things because they're proud of what they're doing and they want to share ideas openly and they're open for feedback and commentary. Um, obviously, give credit where it's due. Um, you know, if you're going to be inspired by someone's idea, they, everyone always says that's the, the best form of flattery. Make sure that, that you're citing your sources or your inspiration if necessary, but otherwise, it's fair to take a look at how contests are being created and how sites and social tools are being used and it might inspire new, new ideas and new ways that your organization could be using social media. Um, here is a site that I found that is not necessarily directly social, but it combines a lot of elements. Um, I do believe there are forums in here, which is a form of social um, interaction, but there are just so many different ways to learn on Physics Central. Adoptive Physicist I thought was really interesting, and I'd be curious to know I didn't get further far enough to know once you adopt a physicist, um, high school students can um, partner with um, a college student or a professional in, in physics. Um, I don't know how they connect after that. It might be through social channels, but I thought that was a really interesting concept that could potentially be replicated in universities. It's almost just like 
pairing up with a mentor in any industry, which I think everyone can use a mentor um, and can help them along their path. Um, there are ask and experiment sections, podcasts, video podcasts, vodcasts. Um, so I just thought this was a really great educational resource and there are just so many different mediums being used to learn and collaborate. Um, this site, Citable by Nature Education, was also another collaborative tool. Again, potentially um, not as social as some of the tools that we're using, but you can create a classroom group or a discussion group and branch out. And I just really loved how it was a place for learning and for growing. Um, I'll do a little shout out to the University of Texas. As Samantha mentioned, she and I went there. Um, and yesterday, uh, it was announced that LinkedIn for Education is now live. I immediately was really interested and clicked through to learn more about it. Um, basically, universities already had some LinkedIn pages, but now there's a new way for students, I believe, 14 and up. Don't quote me on that, but um, younger students, not necessarily young professionals, can um, interact with, can create uh, their LinkedIn profiles, and can grow and learn with universities, and it's a great place for discovery um, when students are trying to determine what career path they want to choose uh, and which university they want to go to. So I found that to be really interesting. I think, you know, dig in as, as the LinkedIn for Education is developing. Um, Edmodo is another tool that I was just aware, made aware of by a friend of mine who teaches, um, and it's an app where you can also share with your classroom, and it's it's sort of a safe social space for education. So you can connect with students, connect with teachers. Um, it's a place where you can post assignments, post updates, share news. Um, and I even asked, you know, well, what happens if one of your students posts something uh, that's a little bit inappropriate? And his response to me was, well, everyone can see it, so they just steer away from it, and we keep it a safe and, and productive place. So we'll um, lastly talk about measuring outcomes, and I do come from a very analytical uh, marketing agency here because we always want to prove that we're making a difference in every marketing strategy that we partake in, including social media. Um, and so I'll just mention, you know, at the basic level, which um, is the tools that we're using that are mostly free. Facebook has Facebook Insights. Um, we use Bitly as a link shortener, mostly because we can keep all of our links in one place and we shorten them for consistency. Um, and they look cleaner once we share them on social channels. But also we can categorize them. Um, organize them and we can go back and see instant statistics um, and how many people have clicked on them um, just after we share or later. Um, it's also a great way to come back if we want to reshare content. We've already created a short link for that content. We could come back to it, take the same bit.ly link and share it and that way we get all statistics for that link um, in one place. Uh, LinkedIn also has uh, also has built-in statistics. They're becoming more advanced a little bit. Um, they are um, on the personal side, but then also on the business side and the university side. I haven't seen, um, I don't manage a university LinkedIn page, so I can't attest to what the statistics look like, but I imagine they would be similar to those of a business page. And then I won't dive in too much because it seems to it, it looks a little technical, but it's actually very simple. Um, I'd be happy to provide more information later if anyone's interested. But we use uh, what's called the Google URL builder to attach tags um, to the end of our content that we're sharing from our website, whether it's a blog post 
or whether it's a main, you know, main page, contact page. Um, we add tags to the end of our URL so that we know where we're sharing it and we share a unique link for every channel. Um, it takes a little bit more time up front, but as a result, we're able to track in Google Analytics uh, where we track most of our website activity. We're able to track what we call our social media campaigns. So this is an example where we tag our um, a blog post that we wrote about LinkedIn features and tips. Um, we tagged it with the source as Facebook, the medium as social media, social versus advertising or another medium, and campaign, we called it LinkedIn Better. Um, and now underneath on the second, um, second section or the second green box, you can see LinkedIn Better shows up as a campaign in Google Analytics, and we're able to take a look at those statistics. And then once we click into that campaign, we're able to see further down, you know, where the, where, what the breakdown was of those visits. So how many were Facebook related and how many were Twitter related. And that's all I had prepared for today. Just some examples of applications of social media for STEMX teaching. Um, I'd love to take a look at your questions now that I'm not staring at the slides um, and love for some feedback as well. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Samantha, for moderating questions um, and fielding feedback. Fantastic. Well, let me be the first to thank you, Rebecca, so much for that amazing and insightful presentation. You know, um, you know, as many course instructors, Holly and I, you know, are always doing research and, and trying to make sure we're in touch with the latest trends. But you, um, hey, I learned I learned a ton from you today, so we're so appreciative. Thank you so much. Of course. So. Um, First things first, I want to give anyone in this Google Hangout in the virtual room a chance to um, unmute their mics and ask any questions that they have. Uh, and if not, we actually have a few questions that have trickled in through the Q&A stream in our Facebook mini course page. Um, so just remember, um, Google Hangout participants, you can jump in at any time. Um, but we'll start with some Facebook, uh, some of the Facebook questions. So one of the questions uh, is actually Twitter-related. Um, the participant wants to know more about any tools that you'd recommend for archiving Twitter chats. Good question. I, I don't have an answer for you. I know uh, Storify is a tool that is used commonly, and it, it was used in the Twitter chat example. Um, I will have to get back to you on that. If you could um, pass along the name to me, Samantha, or I'll send it to you, and we can post it in the um, on the Facebook stream. But I personally have not used any in the past, other than taking a screenshot of um, the Twitter stream and then archiving it, keeping it for our own records. But if it was a very active and large Twitter stream, that would not um, be the best approach. Well, that's a great workaround, and I can personally recommend um, TweetArchivist.com. Uh, it is a paid service. But um, you know, it's it's a, a a small monthly subscription if you're really interested in capturing large sets of data from big tweet ups. Um, that could be an option. And it looks like my co-instructor has a quick question. So Holly, come on in. Thank you. I had a quick question for you, Rebecca. What is one of the biggest misconceptions about using social media uh, within education? Do you have any insight into? to that? Because I know sometimes schools get really nervous about opening up and letting people in. What was the last piece you said? I didn't hear the opening up piece. I didn't, it uh, cut out. 
a lot of schools are very nervous about kind of opening up the virtual doors and letting people in with social media. Sure. So um, while I don't work in the educational space often, um, I'm going to compare it to the government space that I did work in. Um, and really just in general, lots of businesses, when they're new, um, are are just sort of afraid to open themselves up. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think of misconceptions, but um, really I can just go back to the preparedness piece of it where um, my best advice is to create processes so that you're prepared to catch anything that might come through. And really the other side of that is, um, you know, people will find any way to complain. You know, that's where their Yelp is a great service. People like to recommend things, but they also like to complain there. Um, but the point is that wouldn't you rather know what people are saying and address it than not know at all? So it's um, a more strategic approach to be listening and watching and monitoring and find the best way to, to you know, engage with your audience and learn from them. Um, and, and in terms of misconceptions, I think it's just that every, what, I guess one would be that everyone can see what everyone posts. That's not always the case. Um, on Twitter, the only people that will see what you post are people that are looking at your stream when you post it or shortly thereafter. Um, if you pay for that tweet, then they might see it more frequently. Um, the people that visit your, your Twitter page will see it. And if people are following both of you, they will see it, but they won't always see every tweet. Um, and the other piece is just timing. Um, if, if, if you look at your own social media um, patterns, even when I'm, you know, on my phone or, or plugged in online, I, you know, most of the day, I don't see every post that comes through all the time. Um, another thing that, a misconception, now that I think about it, would be um, that you should not post the same content on multiple channels or um, you should not post on all channels at the same time. My response to that is also, um, you know, try to vary it a little bit. I always change it for the, for the channel. For example, at signs don't don't always apply on Google Plus. Um, hashtags are more universal now, uh, but not you know there's different syntax or different formulas for how to, to post on different channels. So we always tweak it a little bit to make sure it fits within 140 characters or fits that tool. But I compare it to um, the way we we read news and consume news. So you might get your gossip news from People Magazine, you might get your business news from the Wall Street Journal, and you might get your social media news from Mashable.com. But that doesn't mean that um, you know you might be checking different news from different angles, um, emails, and other channels. So um, my advice is be where you can be, and you know if you're able to be on several channels at once, uh, do that if that's where your audience is, and let your audience choose where they want. To, to get your information. If they unsubscribe your email list, but they stay connected on Facebook, then that might just be how they want to get their news. Um, and you know, don't take hard feelings if they if they leave your community. Um, but learn from it too. So I think those those misconceptions now that I think about it are about posting the same content on multiple channels. And you know, you may just you may not have checked your Twitter in the morning. So if you post it on Facebook and it stays a little bit longer, or you check G, G, uh, Google Plus later in the evening, then you might catch it there. So um, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. Let your audience decide where they want to get your information. 
I definitely think that hits on one of my biggest takeaways is having a strategy, having a plan for how you're going to do it. I think sometimes they're just they just assign somebody the task of doing the social media for the school that knows how to use the technology or knows how to use the app or the tool. And I think not having a good plan in place really can hurt an institution or an organization if they don't um, have that. So thank you so Definitely. much for your insight today. Sure, definitely. And it is it's difficult because it's hard to, to take the time to slow down and look at that strategy when it seems like everyone's running a mile a minute and if you use Hootsuite or TweetDeck you'll see there are tweets literally every second and it's overwhelming and you think I need to be sharing more, writing more, promoting more, whatever that may be but um, you know you just have to set out goals and make sure that you're allocating time appropriately and that you have your team organized. But it's also okay to leave some room to adjust and learn as you go because these tools change every day. So That is so very true. <laughs> yes. LinkedIn yesterday, I thought, oh, yeah. LinkedIn for education. Perfect, the day before the <laughs> webinar. We'll add that slide in. So you have to be nimble and, and adjust. So absolutely. All right, thank you. I love it. Thanks for being so nimble. And it actually kind of is a nice segue for the next question that we've got in the uh, Facebook Q&A. Um, have you seen any lists of great learning goals that could be addressed by social media? So, so list of goals that people can write ahead of time and, and you know, that they'd hope to accomplish through social media. Learning, learning goals? Yeah, um, if you haven't seen any specific list, what, what do you feel are some you know, good learning goals to set out ahead of time? Um, just to, sorry, to learn about social media in advance or goals for oh, the learning space? Learning goals, like say you're a science teacher and you're teaching, um, you're teaching a lesson on, um, you know, um, geology, for example. Um, what would be, what are the types of learning goals that you'd imagine someone would be able to set for themselves ahead of time? Uh, I'm going to have to revisit that question. I don't know of a list off the top of my head, um, but I'll have to revisit that question with you afterwards. No problem. And I think the, I think the beauty of that question is actually it acknowledges that um, especially educators using social media uh, may want to have learning goals ahead of time, similar to what Rebecca was saying. You know, make sure that you have a strategy ahead of time. Um, it's fun to experiment with social media, but there should be some, some guidelines that you follow. Uh, if you're a teacher writing down what your what the learning goals are for your students uh, may very help very well help you define your strategy. Okay, I think that's actually all we all, all the questions we have here. Um, any any final words you want to add? Um, no, I, that's it. I, I'll try to revisit um, the learning goals question as well as the Twitter chat archive question. Um, but I appreciate everyone's time this evening. I know everyone's busy and um, you chose your time, chose to spend your time here, so now I sound like an airline. <laughs> I hope you'll fly again. But um, no, thanks for joining and thanks for hosting. Um, I'd be happy to continue the conversation afterwards on social media, um, connect with us at DTC Chicago, um, or through through the applications uh, Facebook page as well. So it's an ongoing, ongoing process, work in progress. We're constantly learning, so thanks for including me in, on your journey. Thank you, Rebecca. And by the way, I've already signed up for your next flight. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. 
Well, once again, thank you so much, Rebecca. Um, thank you so much to Digital Third Coast Internet Marketing as well. Um, special thanks to all the learners in our mini course who, who made it out to this field trip uh, and safe travels back to, ever, to wherever you may be logging in from. And a big virtual round of applause to HP for making the HP Catalyst Academy in this mini course possible through their generous support. Uh, so thank you all, and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where in the world you're logging in from. Have a good one.